In this episode, Dr. Johns shares his exploration through medicine and how he wanted to change healthcare from patchwork care to looking at the person as a whole. He discovers OMM first in medical school and then continually utilizes it throughout his entire career. He shares his passion for learning and growing as an osteopath and encourages medical students to never stop trying. Please enjoy. Welcome everyone to another Osteopathic Manipulative Medicine podcast. This is Dr. Amanda Robinson subbing in for Dr. Green, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Jeffrey Johns. Dr. Johns graduated from the Nova Southwestern or Southeastern University in Florida. He also has a master's of science in nursing, and he completed the St. Vincent Family Medicine Residency, where he was also chief resident. He also did a fellowship in neuromusculoskeletal medicine at the Downey Regional Medical Center. He currently holds many positions, ranging from a private solo practice to an ED physician and hospitalist to assistant professor of family medicine and osteopathic principles and practices in, at the Alabama College of Osteopathic Medicine. He holds the 2019 Doctor by the Bay Award for Best of Panama City Beach and Family Practice and volunteers as the medical director for Ironman of Florida. Uh, so thank you so much for taking your time to be with us today. It seems like you have a lot going on. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it does seem like that on some days. Definitely have a lot. <laughs> yeah, when I was reading over your CV, I was like, wow, that's a lot of different venues to be working kind of at, at one time. <laughs> well, luckily, uh, you know, the demands on your time change from one to the other. So it's not always the same, which is good. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself outside of medicine, for instance, what your hobbies would be? Oh, um, yeah. So I live in uh, Panama City, Florida, and uh, a lot of the hobbies, I like to be outside. Um, and luckily, where I'm at, there's a lot of things to do on the water. So typically, I like to kayak with my dogs, and we'll take a, uh, the kayak out in the bay, and they go with me, and they love it. And I'll take them for walks and um, also enjoy crossfitting that kind of helps me uh, de-stress from the world. So, so a lot of fun. Yeah. I really enjoy the Facebook post that you have of your, your pups on the, on the kayaks. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah, so it's, adorable. <laughs> it's fun having three of them on a kayak. <laughs> Do they sit still or are they like wandering around? No, they're, they're actually pretty chill. They, uh, you know, I have two Jack Russells and uh, we have a loner dog for a bit. We've had him for about 14 months and uh, mm -hmm. he's a, Gosh, I don't know what kind of breed he is, but, you know, he's a little bit bigger than the other two. Uh, but, yeah, they, they just chill out, and they lay down and watch the dolphins and the, uh, you know, seagulls and other stuff, and they, they seem to enjoy it. So. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Just awesome. Uh, okay, do you have any books that you would recommend for our, our listeners? Uh, for sure, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I, I tend to like to read books that are um, – a form of escapism because there's a lot of negative things in the world and uh, medicine sometimes gets super heavy, you know, so uh, I like to read things that are, you know, fictional. So one that I'm reading right now is called Dust of the Devil's Land. It's a uh, zombie apocalypse kind of thing, <laughs> even though it sounds like a horror book, but it's, it's very interesting and, and, and detailed in the writing. So it gets you engaged in the characters pretty quick and I'm enjoying that one. And, uh, I've also been reading comic books probably since I was age 12, so I still continue to read those, you know, Marvel and DC and independent books. And uh, there's a 
author Jonathan Hickman, and he really creates these big universe building stories with a lot of uh, inter interwoven storylines. And um, so he he, re he redid really the X-Men books and he wrote some a few years back called Powers of X and House of X. And those were pretty cool just to see him take something that's been around since the 60s and just uh, recreate it in a whole new way. And so, and he's done the same thing with some other, uh, like the Avengers books, he's done that. And uh, he had some independent books called East West, which were super interesting. So it's uh, I like those. So yeah, so a lot of different things I'm looking at stuff. So nice, very nice. Do you have any movies or documentaries that you would recommend? Um, yeah, you know, I was trying to think on some documentaries, and there's been several over the years. And one of them that really changed part of my life was called Forks Over Knives, and I think that's been gosh, that's probably like 11 years now. And it was really looking at uh, plant-based um, diets and the impact uh, on our communities and health. And there's been a lot of other documentaries since then, but that one really kind of changed my perspective. And, uh, and that led me to kind of adopting a whole food plant-based diet. And I've been doing that for, I think, gosh, nine or 10 years now. And uh, yeah, so I think that that, that was a, a turning point for me in health that I was looking at to, to be more comprehensively healthy. And so, so I'd recommend it. It's kind of, it's an oldie, but a goodie. And there's some newer ones out now too, that you can find on Netflix and, and things that are good too. Very cool. I know that a lot of people have been kind of discussing diets and how inflammation in the body can change and things. Um, I had no idea that you were plant-based, but it kind of, it takes me back to when you, you let me stay for the, the Ironman in Florida mm -hmm. and, uh, I was going to have pizza that night and we, we picked an all plant-based pizza. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't make a big fuss about it, you know, cause, um, there's a lot of folks, they get, uh, kind of weirded out if you use the word vegan or one of those and they're, they just panic cause they're like, Oh, what are you going to eat? You know? Are we gonna have a salad? And I and I try to <laughs> I try to say, okay, you know, you don't have to make a fuss. Um, there's a lot of foods you can adapt that you like. So if you're into tacos or burritos, or you like, um, you know, Indian, Thai, Chinese, you know, you name it. There's so many styles and choices that you can adopt to more of a plant-based uh, lifestyle kind of thing. So, yeah, and that you know that kind of led me to get um, certification and plant-based nutrition out of Cornell. They have a course you can take and that is really more comprehensive, kind of looking at the environment, looking at um, policies that are in place, um, the nutritional aspects of foods. That was a really nice course. So I'd recommend that to folks if they're interested. And um, yeah. How long was that course? Oh gosh, it didn't take too long. I think it took um, a few weeks to get it done. You know, it wasn't too long. So mostly it's, it's all online and then you can, um, you know, there's discussions and stuff. So there's people from all walks of life that sign up to take it. So it's not just physicians. So it's, uh, you know, health coaches and um, personal trainers and lay folks and you name it. So it's, it's nice to see that perspective and people want to be healthy and bring their strengths to that table of, of how you do things. So, yeah. yeah, I bet that would be very interesting to see what everybody has to kind of say almost like what we are what we do in medicine working with as a team to help with patient care 
Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, you learn very quickly <laughs> when you finish med school that you can't do it all. And uh, there are so many uh, enthusiastic people on the healthcare team that really um, can build up to their strengths and really help you out, make you look good as a physician. So um, I highly recommend that, you know, getting working with groups and um, letting people do what they do. Uh, let them shine, you know. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So big question is what brought you to osteopathic medicine manipulative treatment? Oh, gosh, that's a long, long, long thing. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make it kind of condensed, but um, I'm the, uh, I was, no one in my family went to college, but I was always interested in growing up in uh, North Central Florida. Um, I was interested in science and uh, I really liked learning and going to school. So it wasn't a, that big of a challenge, luckily for me. So that was where I, I, I liked I was an introvert, so, you know, I like I liked biology and chemistry and all those things, math, and at first, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian, because we grew up on a farm, and I got to see cows being delivered and helping out and working with the chickens and, you know, fish or things, but, uh, you know, eventually, I kind of geared more towards human uh, kind of healing, that kind of thing, so, I mean, I had a lot of progression from the ground up, where I would volunteer at nursing homes, um, then became an EMT, did that for a bit, worked in some ERs as a tech. And then eventually when it came to choosing my major in undergrad, I chose nursing because I didn't want to, I always thought I wanted to go to medical school, although I didn't know that path. I didn't have anybody to guide me. So it was kind of a daunting concept. So I chose nursing as an undergrad. So I'd have at least a job when I got out. So even if I didn't make it to medical school. So um, after I finished, uh, my nursing degree, I was still unsure. I was like, man, I don't want to be really old when I get out of school. You know, I'm ready to start my life and get out and have fun and stuff. So I, I looked at a master's in nursing program to be a nurse practitioner. So uh, I did that in uh, Tampa, Florida, and uh, I started working in emergency rooms in Florida and Oklahoma, North Carolina. Uh, so I did that for four years, but the, the desire to become a physician never left. And I felt like I needed more training than what I had received in that master's program. So I was torn, you know, I was like, oh, I was like, okay, the way healthcare is done out there was not what I thought was the best. So I saw a lot of um, putting band-aids on things and patchwork care that was not uh, looking at the whole person. And it really was a little disappointing. And so I was like, okay, what would, what would help complement my training that I already had? So I even considered like getting a doctorate in nursing, uh, maybe becoming a naturopathic physician, um, PhD in physiology. I mean, I looked at all kinds of options and I was like, okay, what's going to be the best? I never, I didn't want to become an MD, I guess. I don't, I'm not sure why, but it just didn't appeal to me. Um, and then uh, when I was working as a nurse practitioner in uh, different emergency departments, um, I started working around some DOs as well. and just the way that they, they always were nice, you know, I guess I, I was lucky. I didn't work with any mean ones, <laughs> so, <laughs> but there was, there was a, uh, you know, there's a difference when you work with them uh, that I saw. So that kind of got me interested in finding out what a DO was. And then I did my research and I was like, oh, this philosophy really fits with the way my worldview on how I see the way care should be delivered, you know? So, um, and then I applied to, um, DO schools and um, luckily you know I got into a few places and 
I chose Nova because it was nice and warm and it was, you know, back to my home state. So, so uh, yeah, that was kind of that quick and dirty journey there. And, uh, you know, but I never saw OMT being done before I got into medical school, which is, you know, interesting. But I knew that it was some value added to the degree that you didn't get in um, allopathic medical school. So. So based off of, you know, you're, you're getting into med school and your first OMM lab, what was that like for you? Oh, geez. I don't know if I remember my first lab. <laughs> really? But it was, it, yeah. Yeah. You know, the first, well, you know, I, I was um, a little bit older than most of my classmates. So I was already, um, you know, probably six year difference for the majority of the average age. There's a few other folks my age and older and, you know, um, I've already been working in emergency departments for four years. So I was used to dealing with patients and doing a lot of procedures and writing prescriptions and doing the whole thing. So um, being in a lab wasn't that intimidating. I think what was intimidating was, um, you know, if they call you up front to be the, uh, <laughs> for them to demonstrate techniques on, I, I remember that being a little bit like, oh my gosh, everybody's looking at me. Um, but it was, uh, I think the biggest thing that really psyched me up was working with our chair of OMM. So Dr. Elaine Wallace, and I remember specifically what really takes it away is uh, several times where she would just look at people in lab and she would tell you what was wrong with them or where their somatic dysfunction was just based on gait or how they carried themselves. So just to, just to think you could tune in that much. And I thought that was pretty impressive. And then we were able as students to work um, in a fellows clinic that they had. So I got to work with her as she was treating patients and just to see how the connection, like we were treating someone's ankle and there was not much mobility or motion in the ankle. And so she had a resident in the room at the time too, and she guided him to treat a rib on the patient. And once that rib was treated, the ankle on the opposite side of the body, you could start to feel respiratory motion in that ankle. So that was like, what I was like, oh, this is the coolest stuff ever. You know, it's a little bit voodoo, but I love it. So, <laughs> a little bit voodoo. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes you can't wrap your brain around it. You're trying to see, okay, I'm very left brain, like logical. And I was like, okay, I'm not sure how, exactly how this works, but I want to figure it out because this is the coolest thing ever. So um, I was very, very much hooked. I was very happy with that. So, you know, a lot of good experiences throughout. So. Did you, you used to do lots of things with your hands prior to this, like palpitation um, skills? You know, that's before OMM or before DO school, you mean? Yes. I would say um, probably not a ton. I mean, I would do, I enjoyed things like you would do in the ER, like procedures. So I enjoyed doing uh, trigger point injection, suturing, draining abscesses. So I like that um, kind of thing you could do with your hands results, but I didn't have any experience with, um, you know, any kind of massage therapy or other things, you know, so that wasn't my realm, but so it was okay. new. <laughs> uh, have you, had you been, had anybody done osteopathic familiar treatment on you before? Um, not before medical school, no. Okay. And then I, I, just for my own personal curiosity, with you being interested in veterinary school, uh, and being a vet, have you ever tried OMM on a on a animal? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, you know, I I definitely um, I've always had dogs in my life, so um, I palpate dogs quite a bit, and just uh, you know, always giving them that human touch that they seem to like. 
you know, but as far as like trying to diagnose vertebrae and, uh, you know, fascial distortions and things, you know, not, not too much of that. Sometimes yeah. when they get hurt, you know, you'd uh, feel them out and uh, try to help them out a bit that way. But yeah. Yeah. I do that with my dog's arthritic hips. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know. It seems to help him a little bit. Uh, you know, he can get up and down the stairs a little bit better, but yeah. <laughs> hey, I see. I see. Why not? You know, I see other folks doing it and doing acupuncture and all kind of things on their uh, animals. And it's pretty interesting to me. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I figured, you know, it's practice, palpation skills. <laughs> on... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you can touch another living organism and interact, I think that is helpful for your palpatory skills. So. So uh, did you, in your residency, did you utilize the OMT there? Oh, um, heck yeah. So um, my residency program in Jacksonville, Florida at St. Vincent's was a, at the time it was before the single accredi accreditation. So I sought out a program that was accredited, duly accredited. So we had a mix of MDs and DOs in the program. And um, luckily we had a osteopathic physician there that did manipulation. He was a Dr. Terry Soldo, he was an ex-Navy doc. And, you know, we had OMM tables on each floor that we could utilize. And so I would treat um, all my patients. And then I ended up treating the faculty members there. <laughs> and, you know, we treat, uh, so I sought out the opportunities to do it. And, and even before um, coming in there as a, as a resident, when I was a medical student, I sought out opportunities to do an elective in OMM. And so I, in Florida, luckily South Florida, there are places in Orlando where I, you could go. And I was able to rotate at Florida Hospital East with uh, Dr. Thomas Crow. And uh, there's another doc, Laura Rample. So it was nice to get that kind of experience before I became a resident. So I knew that I still wanted to use my skills because I saw the difference that it made in my patients. So. Now, having MD colleagues, how did you explain what you were doing with them, like to them? Uh, that's a good question. You know, the um, the good thing in the residency program, there was enough DOs that um, we didn't really have to do a lot of explaining. So I would incorporate the osteopathic principles in my um, uh, morning reports or we had noon lectures, so we would have different topics, and so we would discuss that. And actually, uh, um, several of the MD residents also wanted to learn our techniques or what we were doing, so we would do some lectures for them as well. And the, awesome. the, fac the faculty were all on board, so they were like, do it. Even the um, MDs that really maybe didn't do any manipulation, but they, they encouraged us to do it or use it, you know, so which was nice. Yeah, we, we offer that for our statewide um, I don't know. I forget what it's called. SDS is what the initials for it. But we help train the, the MDs and the other DO family medicine physicians or residents and help them with their palpatory skills. It's a lot of fun. I really, really enjoy the teaching aspect of it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that will continue. And I would like to that would be really great if we could see it like across the U.S. <laughs> yeah, th there are there is some stuff in the works to do that. And so um, one of the things I get to do is being a, um, a, you know, working in an OMM department is I get to go to some meetings between all the uh, chairs of the OMM departments at all the osteopathic schools. And one of the things we're all working on is trying to get uh, kind of more of a shared materials across the country so that we're not all trying to recreate the wheel in our little silos, you know. And so um, there are definitely courses out there where they're trying to train 
MDs to be comfortable precepting DO students and encouraging them to use OMM. And same thing for some of the DOs that have been out practicing more allopathically that want to come back to it and give them a, um, some training. And so that's in the works. So oh, which that's is pretty exciting. That is wonderful. So after a residency, you did a fellowship in neuromusculoskeletal medicine? Yes. Yeah. So um, the, you know, uh, that was always kind of my plan is I wanted to do either a combined program, which no longer exists, you know, with family medicine and OMM or doing a, a, a second residency that, we, you know, they don't really call them fellowships. They call them a second residency. So uh, which is what's available now. So if you do a residency, let's say in family, internal med, ped, surgery, whatever, then you could do an extra year in neuromuscular medicine, or you can just do a straight three years in um, OMM, ONMM. So, um, but what I did was um, went out to California because I, on the East Coast, we did a lot of direct so it's a lot of HVLA, uh, muscle energy, those kind of techniques. Out west, they were doing a lot more cranial uh, BLT myofascial release. So I wanted to have a nice balance between the two, and uh, it was a, it was also an excuse to get a, get a hold of my travel, my wild side of seeing more of the country and a desire to go out west. So it was a it was a fun experience just to see how things were different, and. Um, yeah, Natalie Lee Nevins was my program director, and she was, uh, you know, hardcore. She was like a Navy major, not an uh, Air Force major, I think. And uh, she ran the program, the family medicine program and the NMM. And then I would get to um, not only see patients at our clinic there at the hospital, but I would also go to her private practice, which was in a um, yoga studio in West Hollywood. And so it's a like night and day practices, you know, but it was very cool to have that experience and then get to rotate with um, OMM docs in Los Angeles and San Diego and, and, and a few other places, which was cool. And, and then you decided to come back to Florida? Yeah, eventually. Yeah. At first I, I took a tour up into the Northwest. I was like, well, we're already there. So when I was looking for jobs, there was a um, Samaritan Health in Corvallis, Oregon, or Albany, Oregon, and they were looking for um, a family doc who did OMM. So they were really looking for a DO. And it was an integrative where we had um, a few other DOs that did manipulation. We had MDs that did acupuncture. Uh, we had some other acupuncturists that were pure acupuncturists. We had a naturopath in the practice, um, some massage therapists. So it was really an integrated practice in two locations that um, met to treat patients. And we also did functional medicine as well. And we had uh, some nurse practitioners also in the practice. So it was very dynamic group. You know, so that was a, a ton of fun. I was I was there for a couple of years and also um, I taught at a family medicine residency program as a preceptor in their family medicine clinic. And then I did a little urgent care on the side, too. So I was doing a, quite a few things then. Yeah. So you've always been kind of always been kind of busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the good thing. I tell you, family medicine is so much fun because you get a lot of variety in your practice. And so uh, it doesn't get dull, which is nice. You don't have yeah. to be confined in a box and kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, for our listeners, could you describe what functional medicine is? Oh, yeah. Um, functional medicine is a, it's kind of a newer, I mean, I wouldn't say newer. I mean, it's been around over a decade now, but it's a way of trying to get to the root cause of what's causing someone's um, illness or, or, you know, lack of health. And so it's very osteopathic and it's, 
culture. You know, there's a lot of um, overlapping themes in that, but um, they think of it as way of looking at um, more of a systems kind of approach to a patient. So if a patient comes in, let's say as they thought they have an asthma problem, you wouldn't just look at their lungs and give them a medication for asthma. You would say, okay, how are their, what are their metabolic demands? What are their structural issues? You know, what are their gastrointestinal issues? What is their immune function like? What is their energy, spiritual uh, connections? You know, and you, you'd you also go into basics of diet, exercise, relationships, stress management. So it was a lot of that uh, stuff that's incorporated to try to balance the body's ability to heal. So, you know, it's very, very interesting approach. Absolutely. It sounds like a lot. Would you do yeah. that? You wouldn't be able to do that all in one visit or how long is the visit? <laughs> well, um, there we had a nice setup. So new patient visits were about 90 minutes and then um, we would, they'd have a big questionnaire form to fill out ahead of time. So you'd want to find out if these patients, how much, how, like, you know, you'd say, okay, how willing are you to take a medication? How willing are you to take a supplement? How willing are you to change your diet? So this way, it kind of will gauge a patient to figure out um, where they were in the process and how 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 likely they were to meet with you with that. And then we would do um, you know a big full exam, structural exam, that kind of thing, and then some laboratory studies which would look at um, a lot of biochemistry. So if you think you don't need biochemistry, you still do. So this was a way of looking at uh, a person's Krebs cycle, you know, um, looking at all their omega-3, omega-6, omega-9 fatty acid balances, looking at their um, metabolites, of nutrition, you know, maybe they had deficiencies in folate, um, maybe they had MTHFR gene deficiencies. Um, I mean, there was a ton of stuff you would look at with a patient. And uh, so very comprehensive, but it was exciting. And um, and we worked kind of as a team there too. So if we had a tough patient, we'd all meet as a group and discuss the different viewpoints on how we would care for that patient. So it was almost like a grand rounds in your office. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, I wish I would get back to it. So, you know, after I left, uh, Oregon to move back to Florida for family, you know, it was tough being, uh, that many time zones away. And so, um, when I moved back to Florida, one of the easy ways to move into a job was a, a transition to an urgent care setting. So it was very different. So I went from being this very comprehensive style of medicine to very quick, just one problem and, and see you later kind of thing. So, um, so I really didn't practice functional medicine in that way there, even though a lot of the counseling I still did, you know, in a, in a different capacity. But um, yeah, I've moved around a little bit and that's for my uh, other half's job and that kind of thing. So we moved again to the panhandle floor where I'm at now. So my practice has changed a bit. You know, it's, it's tough. The business side of medicine, we don't get a lot of. So trying to grow a practice from scratch is pretty tough. So I had some of those ideas of wanting to do more of the functional medicine in the beginning, but being a solo doc without a lot of resources, it was a, a challenge for me. And so I've, I've kind of backed away from that a little bit and did it more of the, um, I guess, a, acute things that I would see. So most of my practice now is doing home visits and I've confined it more to old men and then acute things that people would go to the urgent care for, but don't want to go to an urgent care. So. Okay. Now these home visits, do you, you're doing OMM there, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So do you take a table with you or do you just treat how they are? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I take my table. I've, I've got my portable table. I got a ham for med school. It still works great. So I will take that and I, I usually have some sheets that I'll bring along or have the patient use their own sheets from home to cover the table. And I have a little black bag, just like old fashioned, you know, well, well actually it's, it's black, it's black, blue and yellow. So it's like a few colors, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'll have like my, uh, typically I'll use my iPad and that way I can have my patient record there. And then I'll have uh, my stethoscope and blood pressure, thermometer, you know, anything I might need. And I'll take that to the visit. And that way I can really do pretty much whatever I need at that time. It's pretty nice. straightforward. Yeah. And it's almost like you're getting kind of that, uh, that big pamphlet, you know, where they answer all those questions because you're going into their home. You can see how they're living and how they're moving around their space. Or that's how I felt when I was doing hospice care. I really enjoyed going to the homes and treating the patients there because you could really get a, a lot of information by being in their homes with them. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, you know, when you're in an office, it's uh, kind of a contrived environment. So it's more of your environment as the doctor. Um, but if you go to someone's home, you get to see like, okay, you know, what is their home like? What is uh, their furniture styles? What is their, you know, sometimes I'll even uh, look at what they're eating, you know, and say, hey, show me your refrigerator. Show me your, what food you like, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's that big eye opener. And then who else is in the home with them? So that makes a difference too. So you'll meet the kind of the whole family or their pets or, you know, so it's eye opening a lot of times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought that would always be a fun thing to, to incorporate into my practice. We shall see one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it won't be too long to be right there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, do you have any cool or memorable patient stories of utilizing OMM that you would share with our listeners? Um, for sure, for sure. Um, there are a lot. So, you know, some of these experiences, you know, there, it, what I would say, maybe it doesn't require rocket science to make someone better. Uh, you just have to present them with an open mind and open heart and uh, you meet them where they are. And so I've had a lot of cases where it was, you know, some simple techniques that you didn't have to work hard to do and the patient got a lot better. And sometimes I was even surprised. I was like, oh, I don't think I really did much, but they were like, oh yeah, that one treatment was all I needed and I was good to go. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's, a, that's shocking, but hey, I'll take it, you know? Um, but uh, one that I was thinking about that comes to mind was, uh, I, this was when I was in Oregon and, and it was a young, a young girl that her mother brought to see me because she was, um, she was only, I think she was nine or 10 and she was already diagnosed with uh, OCD, um, insomnia, severe anxiety, um, she, they thought that she had developed pandas syndrome, which is this, uh, kind of the syndrome of symptoms you can get after being exposed to strep. Um, but the funny thing was after talking with them, the, the standard treatment for her to try to control her symptoms was to put her on all these psychiatric medications, you know, so they were trying to put her on SSRIs and, and uh, benzos and all kind of stuff for a, a little girl who's nine or 10 years old. And, that wasn't really, you know, acceptable to them all. And I didn't think that was a great way to treat someone either. But um, so we were able to kind of approach her from a functional medicine viewpoint, um, support her nutritionally by, you know, um, coenzyme Q10, increasing her healthy fats, changing her diet a bit, and then working with her to do OMT, definitely treating her cranially. Um, and she had a great 
great improvement to where she was. She went from sleeping probably two hours a night to being able to sleep, you know, seven or eight hours, which was a, a big change. And then to get her to where she could actually stop some a lot of those OCD behaviors that she was doing. So she would be washing her hands so much that they would get uh, bloody. And so she'd have to wear gloves so that she wouldn't wash her hands, you know, so. So it was all this stuff we had to go through to, and she was a, a trooper. Let me tell you, this this little girl took um, supplements that we recommended. She changed her diet, um, and we were able to take her off of those um, psychiatric medications. So I was very happy with that case. That that's incredible, and I, yeah, having somebody so young on so many different medications, it's got to be difficult for them. And then you said you treated cranially. Now, when you did the approach to to treatment for her. Did you also, you know, check the entire spine and then go, you know, finish with the cranial treatment or was it all purely just cranial? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, every uh, osteopath, after you get out there and practice, you'll you'll start to integrate a lot of the different modalities. So for every patient, I would do head to toe screen and look for areas of somatic dysfunction and treat those because sometimes you don't know what is going to be the key area that's tying up a person's body's ability to heal properly. And so I've just tried to support those areas. So for her, I would use um, pretty much all the different modalities I like. So we would use muscle energy, myofascial release, soft tissue, um, definitely cranial because I felt like she had some uh, strain patterns and things that she needed some help with up there. But yeah, all those combined them all. Did these strain panner, did she have any trauma of hitting her head or any like motor vehicle accidents that would cause the strain patterns or was the strain patterns from what she was physically going through with the, uh, I guess the illness that she was processing? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, when you do your functional medicine and, and, and you kind of do this a bit too, when you take a, a good history with someone who's coming to see you for NMM, um, you want to take kind of that history from birth on up. And so any kind of um, like a chronological history. So you're looking at what kind of insults do they have through those years? So that was mom's pregnancy okay? Did she have anything traumatic during the pregnancy? How was the birthing process? Did that affect, you know, was it a long labor? Did they have to use augmentation? Um, then you would go into, okay, was there any childhood illnesses? Um, was there anything that happened in the family? Was there like a traumatic event like a death um divorce was there you know so you kind of look at all those things to see okay which one of those was the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing mm -hmm. you know and so for some people they can kind of tool along and your body will adapt and you'll do okay and for other people it really breaks them and so you're trying to work backwards to find out um when did their health start to decline and most patients will focus on that worst part and they forget all those small things that were already warning signs that were adding up to where they were when they finally broke, you know. And so for this little girl, I don't really, I don't recall that there was anything big and traumatic as far as uh, a head injury or a concussion or that kind of thing. But the, you know, she did get she did get sick at some point, had some kind of febrile illness. And uh, when I went back and looked at all the labs, I, I don't think their diagnosis was correct of Panda syndrome because she never had any positive lab results for strep. So I think it was a probably was a misdiagnosis and they just didn't know what to do with her. Really. Okay. And with getting this detailed history from all the way from birth, you would do that with not just the, the children patients, but also with adult patients? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds daunting, right? You're like, oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> And, and, and so when you do these, you can you can always um, have the patient do that ahead of time. So when I have new patients in my practice, I may ask them and say, hey, um, I have an electronic form they'll fill out ahead of time. Or I might tell them, OK, let me know about your life. You know, just write down from what you can remember anyway, from birth on up. So did you have any experiences? You know, was there like, did you have a rough time in college? Did you have a bad breakup? Did you? get an illness that you were sick for longer than you thought. And, you know, just so they can try to remember it. And um, and some people do a really good job of that and others don't, you know, but sometimes they'll remember, you know, so it doesn't have to be perfect, but it does help you to, sh to also for your help, for your, as a physician to, to see um, the grand scope of this person. And then it also helps the patient to recreate a timeline in their head so they can kind of think back and think, okay, when was I healthy? oh, I remember what healthy was like. And then, you know, how to get back there, you know? So it's, a, it's it can be a little daunting, but it's it, once you do it a few times, it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that, that makes sense. When I first started clinic as an intern, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to know so many things. Yeah. And then it's definitely gotten better. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Second year, I, I blow my, I'm like, wow, I can do all these things. I can't, I can't believe it. Uh, yeah, just think back when you were like a, you know, first time, first patient you saw as a third year med student, you're like, oh my God, I don't even know how to ask him any questions that like we just learned for two years, you know? <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember when I was an intern and I was like uh, seeing patients in the hospital and the nurse is asking me for a Tylenol dosage and I was like, oh my God, can I write Tylenol? I don't know. <laughs> even though it's something that's over the counter and I had already been writing prescriptions for years and I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Yeah, I, I had an instance in my uh, family medicine inpatient where the nurse called if I and asked if I could get or asked if she could give the patient a cough drop. <laughs> and I was just like, I, um, yeah, is this contraindicated? I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's very, a uh, very interesting process. And you grow so much exponentially every year. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Um, so you were discussing how the patient, you know, uh, kind of reflects back and they can go and think of a time when they were healthy. I, th I think they just, no, they did discuss this at Convo because I've been trying to see and use this on my patients because they'll say, you know, oh, my back just started hurting one day and it's gradually gotten worse. And I've had having them reflect back to, well, when were you were, you know, when were you feeling good? And then, like you said, they sometimes can stumble upon like, oh, I did do this. And that could have made, you know, the back start to hurt. And, and it seems that a, a lot of people don't think of the stress in their life or they think of just the physical aspects of their life. And so I've been trying to get them to think of the other stressors that can, like you said, be kind of the, the last straw on the camel's back and breaks. So do you find that you use that a lot? with patients or yeah yeah I, I i find it to be very helpful and it's very eye-opening because some of these patients you'll work back with them and, and look at the history and you're like thinking well you know with our standard history taken it's very short and very precise and but it doesn't give you that chronology of things and so looking at it 
from that other way of functional medicine and the chronology or, you know, there's a new thing where they talk about narrative medicine where patients can just kind of almost tell a story of their life instead of how we have it kind of broken down from our, the way we're taught in med school to take a history and, and all that. But um, it really opens your, your mind up and it really shows you like, wow, this was a big impact on this person and they didn't realize it. So um, sometimes they may have n not had any big illness as far as like a, a disease or a traumatic event physically, but a mental thing that happened that, that really hurt them. So, you know, um, have you heard of those uh, adverse childhood, childhood event studies? They've been around for a while um, in pediatrics. Uh, I, I have not, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Well, if you ever get bored, um, look it up, <laughs> if, uh, you know, if you got a lot, little free time, right? And so this was, uh, these were some cool studies and they've grown since then. There's been multiple ones that built on the foundations, but they were looking at, um, okay, let's say that you're in childhood and you have this adverse event. So whether it's your parents got divorced, um, whether someone, maybe there was suicide in the family, um, maybe there was food scarcity, something. And then they looked at, okay, do these people from childhood have a different outcome physically as they move into adulthood. And they did see that. So there was a lot more physical disease manifestations because of these other things. And so I thought that was um, pretty powerful to follow people over time and see that. So there was more obesity, there was more diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, all these things that, you know, we don't always contribute to something happening early in our life, but it, but it does. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been recently doing some self soul searching and learning about the effects of what happened through my childhood affecting how I am as an adult. Mm -hmm. And it's it's pretty impressive. I'm like, Oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense now. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Cool. Uh, so we'll kind of ask the, the, the big final question is what advice you have for those med students that go into OMIM lab that aren't quite sure how they're going to utilize it if they utilize it at all. Because there's a few of us, you know, that we we live in the lab. We love it. We engage in it and we search and, and seek it out when we can use OMT. But there's, a, you know, a good chunk of, of the students that are like, well, I'm just here. I just need to get this done because I got to go study cardiology and neurology and, you know, and do all these other things. And so what could you tell them that would kind of give them energy and inspire them to really embrace the, their lab experience? Oh, gosh, that's, some, that's a good question. <laughs> so you're right. I mean, we, we definitely see a mix of students. And now that I've been helping train students for since 2018 in the lab, so I'll definitely see a percent that's really gung-ho about it, then a, another percent that has not, don't want anything to do with it. They want to get in and out as quick as possible. And then you have a lot of folks in that middle who are trying to figure it out, haven't had a lot of exposure. But, you know, med school's tough. So I think that right now, the way the curriculums are designed, there's so much demand on your time that you're just trying to keep your head above water. And their first goal above all else is to become a physician. And then whether or not they incorporate all the things you learn, that's the other part that's harder. So with OMM being a smaller credit hour compared to some other classes like anatomy, you know, they have, you kind of shift your demands, you know, just so you can survive. And then, but I think that what really helps most people is not just learning it theoretically, but actually putting it into practice. So the more opportunities you get to um, have OMM done on you, or if you can practice those techniques on someone who is in need 
whether it's a family member, classmate, or if you get the opportunity to rotate, that's that's what makes you a believer because you get to feel it and experience it. And that's really that connection that I think that most students that go into osteopathic school, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that difference. At least that's what they tell us. So <laughs> I'm hoping that they that they don't lose sight of that. You know, it, it, I think it's easy to lose sight of that when you're in the weeds of med school curriculum. Um, but yeah, yeah, I would say just seek out experiences. To me, I think that's the biggest thing that makes you change because all of them, you know, you'll we'll say, hey, when you were on break, did you get a chance to work on any family members or do that? And a lot of them will say, yeah. And so they, their family's already asking them to say, okay, you're in med school, you're a doctor now. So what about this? What about that? And, you know, you can't write prescriptions. You can't really do much of anything, but you can do OMM. So I'd say use the skills that you are, have been learning every week for these first couple of years. Just take advantage of that and uh, your skills will get better. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm still learning. <laughs> You think oh. I did? I did OMM. Um, I did some facial cranial uh, OMT for this woman because she was having. She just wanted me to check her face because she has triplets and they they hit her hit her in the head a lot yeah. <laughs> with their heads. And <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I'll give it a try. And she's been struggling with smell, so I checked the, the nasal bones, the maxilla, the temporal, you know, and all all those kind of bones in the area. And then when she left, she could smell better. That is it so was, cool. And I know it's so amazing. And so it just like you said, you just keep practicing and trying new things. And you know, I'm not sure if that will really work. I've heard, you know, I know where the cranial nerve comes from. I know how the bones are are you know situated. Maybe if I can just adjust them a little bit. And get free them up from any restrictions that I feel or fascial restrictions, you can really help a patient out. So, yeah. 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 You know what I think? Um, I guess over the years, we're, we're all still learning and growing. Just don't ever stop because yes. this, this field is awesome, you know. But uh, one thing to always remember is that it's not about you as the physician per se, it's really about the patient. And so I've had patients that if I, want to use treatments that they're that they're open to we'll do that and you have to have that therapeutic relationship and that connection and their body is really what's going to do the healing for the majority of the cases we can help you know we can tool it along by giving them you know omt we can offer recommendations on health and rehabilitation and social connections you know things like that but really they have to do that healing piece and that has to come from them so you know, and that and that's a challenge sometimes because as physicians, we really want to fix things and we want to be like, okay, I've got to make that better now. You have you take on a little bit of guilt if you don't get the results that you expect, but a lot of times you got to learn to be kind to yourself and realize that um, you can only do so much, right? We're all human. We're all here on this planet, and uh, you can only do what you can do, but do your best. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that was a great great wrap up there <laughs> hey don't wrap up yet i wanted to give a shout out to um oh. some of the, some of the docs who um helped get me to where i'm at there's okay. been so many but i can't remember them all so i'm sorry but um and a lot of the the women physicians out there who have been amazing so i think that i've noticed uh, a lot of them take students on and they're a bit more quiet about it and so sometimes you'll have the a lot of the male physicians that get these fancy things and they do presentations, but really the ground level work, I see a lot of the female physicians. So really like uh, Dr. Elaine Wallace, um, 
Dr. Juanita Brown, uh, Sandra Solinsky, uh, Natalie Nevins, Laura Rample. They were all some docs that taught me so much, you know. And so, you know, I learned from other folks too, Ed Stiles, Ken Lossing, you know, Dr. Hagopian, some of these big names you'll hear. But I tell you, the other docs out there taking the time to take on students and really spreading osteopathy, they're, they're amazing healers. So it's been been nice. And you're on the way, Dr. Robinson. I know it. You, you got the hand. So I, I really enjoy watching you grow as a student and then now a resident. And, you know, your future is bright. So. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'm blushing. <laughs> well, I do sincerely appreciate you taking the time to to do this interview with us and for our listeners. Um, I very much appreciate it. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having right. me on. I will okay. uh, catch up with you soon, okay? Alrighty. All right. Bye-bye. I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Dr. Johns, taking away some great pearls like delivering more than just patchwork care for your patients and incorporating the entire person, the mind, body, and spirit. Feel free to leave a review and click on the episode link if you have any questions or would like to leave a message for Dr. Johns or myself. And we will see you in the next episode. As well, please enjoy a small little snippet on why OMT from a medical student. Until next time. My name is Adil Sajid. I'm an osteopathic medical student at the Incarnate Word School of Osteopathic Medicine in San Antonio, Texas. For me, OMT is part of the tool belt that we physicians can use to help patients achieve or realize the full health and the potential that their bodies can, can attain. Mm-hmm.